0: Good evening, folks. It's eight PM, and it's another great time for us to fellowship with our Father. Welcome to church, and I trust we all, all we all had a great day um, with regards to all the activities and business of the day, and I we're either home or heading home for some people God will keep us and take us home safely so let's get into the meeting now um, let's just say a word of prayer Lord God in heaven eternal Father we bless you for another great evening we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered unto you again. We bless you for the opportunity we have to come before you to study and look at your word. Lord, we ask that you give each and every one of us understanding that as the word comes by your Holy Spirit's that lives in us and is at work in us, you will explain the words to us in a way or in ways we will understand, Lord. And with the understanding, help us, Lord, to not just hear, but also do by your empowering in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, because now you have heard us. I pray and ask, give me your chance today that I may speak the word boldly even as I ought Thank you, because we have heard us, God. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Evening, folks. <clears throat> um, today, we will continue along the lines of um, looking at another parable of our Lord Jesus. You know, just like we discussed during the last class, parables are a very, very good teaching tool they're very good teaching aid because what they do is they provide simple common everyday examples that are easy to digest and they are they are used to present a situation using those things talking about things with deep spiritual significance. So let me me go at that again. A parable or parables, as our Lord used them, were simple stories, scenarios, and even common things presented in such a way that they are used to explain a deep spiritual truth and the lord used them so that the listeners <clears throat> for those god who would give understanding would be able to listen to that story hear the story or hear, and draw straight lines across the scriptures between everything presented within the story so if you take any parable of jesus right or any parable, in fact, lay it out, split it into two main categories, characters and actions. A lot of times, actions follow characters, but the instant you can identify the characters in the story and who they are, right, and the actions they took, you'll be able to understand something spiritual, you'll be able to understand a spiritual truth. So it becomes very, very important then that when we look at parables, the first thing you need to do, right? Let me teach you how I read these parables. I do an initial first reading to get a full sense of the story. Now, when I get a full sense of the story, I do a second reading. But this time around, I am taking notes So identify the characters mentioned in the story. And then for each of the characters mentioned in the story, right, on the one side, and then on the other side, I mentioned the actions of notes in the story. Now, when you take those characters, take the actions, try to use scriptures to now begin to interpret each character and the actions, and you'll be able to paint a picture of what's, Christ is trying to see. So tonight, we'll be looking at the parable of the householder. So the householder, think about the householder like a landlord, a landowner. Right? Think about it like a landlord or a landowner, you know. Um, So think about like the parable of the landlord. Simple story. We all know what a landlord is. Someone who owns land, in essence. Now... The thing on the land is a different question, right? So the question is what is on the land the person owns. It could be a building, it could be a business, it could be even a vineyard, is a business, it's a farm, it could be a factory where things are produced. It doesn't matter. The point is there is a landlord, which means he's a lord of a land, which means he owns a piece of land, and he has total control and ownership over that piece of land, to do with it whatsoever he sees fit. Right? Now, we will read this parable first. So we'll do a quick read-through. We're reading from Matthew 20, from verse 1 to 16. That's where you find that parable. It's a parable of the householder. Right? So I will read from... Okay, I think I should read from... Okay. I can read from the KJV today. Um, okay, no, let me read from the CSB. So please just bear with me, all right? Uh, I'll read from the CSB. It's the Bible I've opened in front of me. Okay, so I read. But the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, remember from our last teaching, we said a person is paid a denarii for a day's work, right? A hundred denarii, rather, right? Workers, one denarius, he sent them into his barnyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, which is the third hour, so the Hebrew day starts at 6 a.m. and then ends at 6 a.m. So whenever I see the first hour is 6 a.m., third hour is 9 a.m., sixth hour is 12 noon, Um, ninth hour is 3 p.m., and then the twelfth hour is 6 p.m. Right, so just take note of that. Right, so the CSB breaks it down, but in case you're reading the KJV, you see something like third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, and eleventh hour. Eleventh hour is five p.m. So just to help us, like, have a picture in our minds of, of what we're talking about. When when he went about, so I'm back in verse three, when he went about, when he went out about nine in the morning, he saw all standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also going into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? They responded, because no one hired us. They said to him, You also go into my vineyard, he told them. Verse eight. when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, which is in the KJB steward, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. So starting with those that came at 5 p.m. and then ending with those that started working at 9 a.m. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received the denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bought the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to them, which is the landowner, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on the denarius? Take what's yours, And go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what is what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, looking at this story, I know we can read it and then just run away. Like, ah, okay, yeah, last will be first, first will be last, and that's what that's the only thing we all remember. We just run away but I think it's very, very important to pay attention to the details, right? So first and foremost, let's create that table I said we should create, characters, actions, right? Now, who are the characters here? We will see them, right? We'll see them. Number one character, right, is the landowner, the landlord, right? That's number one. I don't think I need to mention which landlord is, but it's fine, let's keep going. The second character or group of characters are laborers. Right? Now there is another character who we see in verse eight, the steward, that is a foreman. And I would like to add one more character that isn't a person, but a thing, time. So character number four, which although not a person body thing is time. Now let's look at the actions that happened, right? I'm just gonna list all of them out. Then we'll begin, you know, start drilling down into the into the teaching itself. Number one action is hiring. Right? The land hired laborers. He employed laborers, right? Number two action was the laboring in the vineyard of the laborers. So the laborers worked, right? The laborers worked. So laboring of in the vineyard, right? Action number three is judgments Or rather, reward. So they are both together, actually. Judgment and reward. Because all the laborers presented themselves. In fact, let's not miss this particular detail. The last were judged first. They presented themselves to the steward. And he judged and rewarded them. And finally, something I also want to point out, which is the fourth action, is grace. Grace, the graciousness of the landowner. Now that's extremely important and it's going to matter to all of us as we explore the story. So just bear with me, okay? Now, Let's jump into a very, very interesting story. I love this story, actually, quite a lot. Um. Now, I'm going to start on the characters. And while talking about the characters, I would also touch upon their actions as well. And we're going to go through scriptures to understand what is happening, what, what Jesus is trying to tell us, right? And understand this, Jesus is the Son of God, the second person in the Godhead. And everything he has committed to us, he received of the Father. So what he is telling us is God's very word. There is no doubting it. There is no doubting anything that comes out of the mouth of our Lord. So whatsoever he has said is true and established as true because he said it. Now, the land of is nice God. Right? God is the land owner. Right? For all those who who are wondering who the land owner is, the land owner is not Jesus, the land owner is God. Right? I will see from scriptures. Right? Let's look at Romans 8.33. You're with me? I'm flipping through my Bible. I'm not as fast as I should be. But I think I'm fast enough so that I don't hear my Bible. Romans eight thirty three. It says, <clears throat> Who can bring an accusation against God's elects? God is the one who justifies. God is the one who has made you to be counted worthy to be his son. So calling you that is the hiring. He called you. We'll see more scriptures. So, but I just want to explain what the scripture is trying to say. Right? Let's look at Matthew 9. Matthew 9, <clears throat> verse 37 and 38. Matthew 9:37 and 38 says, Then he said to his disciples. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So you see Jesus using a similar example here. The Lord of the harvest is God. And he was speaking to the disciples for God to send more laborers because they also would be laborers. So this takes us almost into the second person, right? So you are a laborer. If you are saved. If you are not, you are still on the outside. Right? Now, let's look at Psalm 100 verse 3. Psalm 100 verse 3. It's a popular verse. So, I know we don't know what is there. But it's part of our reading today. Psalm 100 verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people and the sheep of his pasture. God owns the pasture. He is the Lord of the harvest. See similar wordings, right? Now let's go to Acts 20, 25 to 29. Another popular scripture which we've read now first times. Thank God for his mercies. Acts 20. 29. Acts twenty twenty five to twenty nine. I read, and now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This is for when it was you know it called mm-hmm. all the leaders of the church to Ephesus, you know, and charged them. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard. For yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, laborers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So a couple things you see here. First, you're an overseer or people are overseers, which means they are laborers, right? Where do you keep? A flock of sheep, obviously on a farm. Unless you're nomadic, which even if you're nomadic, it doesn't change the points. The whole world is your pasture, right? So there is a farm. There is a vineyard, right? There is a harvest. So we're still talking about the Lord of the harvest, which is the land of being God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. Okay, I think I can actually skip this one for now. Um. <clears throat> okay, let's let's skip 2 Corinthians 5 for now. Let's skip that. Let's move on. So already, from everything we've read so far, you see two things, right? You see the Lord of the Harvest. You see the mention of workers, of aseers, obviously laboring for the Lord of the Harvest, which takes us, so it's a very solid segue into... Into the second character, which is the laborer. Right. So we also saw a mention of hiring from Romans 8. It is God who justifies, right? Even from Matthew 9, we see that it is the Lord of the harvest that sends laborers. It is the Lord of the harvest that sends workers into the field. So it is the Lord who calls. So we see both the mention of the Lord of the harvest, right? Which is the landowner, and his work of hiring right? Jesus says in John 6, 44, you don't need to go there. He says, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. So it is the Lord that calls. It is he that has called that also justifies and called us to be conformed to the image of the Son. You see that in Romans 8, 29. Right? Now, let's look at liberals We already read Matthew 9, 37 to 38, so you see the mention of workers. Um, let's look at 2 Timothy 4, 5. Two Timothy, four five. Now, something I'm gonna mention here, just as we're exploring you as a laborer, you, if you are saved, please let's note that. I also want to point out that we will see the job of laboring or rather the action of laboring mentioned. Right, We'll see the action of laboring mentioned because the laborer goes hand in hand with laboring. The overseer goes hand in hand with the job of overseeing. Right, So you can't separate the laborer from laboring if not it's no longer a laborer. The laborer is nothing without the laboring. So I want us to know that both the laborer and the action of laboring go hand in hand. A laborer who doesn't labor is not a laborer. Because it's not laboring anything. Okay. Let's look at my um, second Timothy 4 5. But as for you, exercise self control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see how he says, do the work, fulfill your ministry. Yes, Timothy was. A bishop. And you are probably thinking in your mind, ah, but me, I'm not a bishop, I'm not, I'm not Pastor Emus. I'm not Pastor Richard, and I'm not Bratimi, I'm not a Prosonde, I'm not a leader, I don't have ministry. Oh, okay, I'll show you that I do because we all have a ministry to Corinthians 5. That we left earlier. 2 Corinthians 5. Okay. 18. From verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. So he called us and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So having been reconciled, which is the call of God, God hiring you now that you are saved, he has given you the ministry of reconciliation for the helps here. This should have a deeper meaning considering the training we've been going through on Friday. So please, guys, take close attention. Let's just jump straight to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God, delivering. You see a mention of two things here. God calling and reconciling us to himself by Christ, and then the job he has now given us now that we have been reconciled. So you see here that you are not, you don't have to be a pastor, a deacon, someone in the helps, um, a worker in any shape or form, you only need to be saved to have a ministry. the ministry is not starting a church. Right? It is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of being able to declare the gospel of Christ. That's as simple as it is. Um, Colossians 4.17. We all know Colossians 4.12. So Colossians 4, 17. this is Paul. It says, and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. So tell Archippus, pay attention to the labor you have been given, the job you are given on the vineyard so that you can actually complete the job. That's it. That's literally all he said. Okay, let's go to more verses. Acts chapter 6 from verse 1. We'll do a lot of reading. And thankfully, it's called Bible study, anyways. Acts 6, from verse 1 to 4. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Verse four, take note. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the of the word. A devotion by the laborers to the task given to them. Okay, let's move on. First John 1, 1-4. 1 John 1, 1-4. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is Apostle John saying everything we have seen, everything God showed us. We are declaring them unto you. Not just showed us the things we've experienced, the things we've handled, we've tested them with our hands and can guarantee that they are true. We are declaring them to you, the word, the word, the word. That is him fulfilling his own ministry. I think let me just do First Corinthians 3, 5 to 6. Then maybe we'll skip this uh, character so we can move faster. First Corinthians 3, 5 to 6. That's great. Hope you can all still hear me. Um, I hope I'm being head of next other, please. If if anything happens, please kindly indicate so that we can I can restart it. Um, first Corinthians 3:5 to 6. He says, What then is Apollos? So, this is Paul obviously addressing the divisions in the church, right? Who what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. So they are servants through whom you believe. So the work they did cost this to believe and be saved, right? So the work is in relation to preaching. It's in relation to declaring God, declaring Christ, the life now available in Christ. Okay, cool. And each has the role the Lord has given. Each laborer was assigned a role. Verse 6, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. End of story. They are all servants. That's the summary. It doesn't matter what the rule of Mr. A was or what Mr. B was. The point was they are all servants. Okay. Now let's look at what then is God's vineyard? Right? What is God's vineyard? Let's just quickly look at that right so what is this land? What is this land that this land owner has? in the same chapter first Corinthians three let's look at verse eight to 10. now he who plants and he who waters are one. so it doesn't matter who the servants is, they are all one. and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So you see with the laboring comes the conversation about reward and judgment. Right? For we are God's co workers. You are God's field and God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another built on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. We'll come back to this chapter at a later time. But here's the point we are God's building. Divided is the whole earth. That's why the Bible in two places. His- Multiple places it says that God does not want men to perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. But you see, we the people are God's vineyard. The earth is the place of our ministry for every one of us that is saved. Right? Okay, so now let's jump, let's jump over. Let's quickly look at the place of time before we look at the place of the steward himself. Right? So I want us to touch upon time before we look at the place of the steward. Right? Before, okay, before we go, okay, let me quickly, hmm. Uh, Let see okay, I can skip that. Let's look at time, the place of time before I go to uh, the still word. Hebrews 11, 39 to 40. It's popular. I know some of us already know what is there. Hebrews 11, 39. 39, 39, 39, 39, 39. Something I didn't mention earlier, but which would be good to mention, is... Okay, we'll, we'll deal with that when, when as we talk about time now. So yes, I, I guess I believe we'll deal with that. So we'll just deal with this particular subject as we talk about time. Now, what I wanted to touch upon is the fact that notice that in that parable, the laborers were hired at different times. Some were hired from the start, others were hired close to the end. What does that tell you? What does that remind you of? Judgments. At the end of times, when all shall stand before the judgment seat. Right? So, think about it like this. Some liberals were hired at the beginning. Think about the fathers of faith. Enoch, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, men of faith, Joshua, Moses, Isaiah, David, Jeremiah, Micah, Nahum, Obadiah, Amos. Nehemiah. Think about all these people. Some were hired early in the day. Now think more in more recent times. Apostle Peter, Apostle John, Apostle Paul, James, Jude. Think about this man. Now think about yourself. Because just as we are adding all these people, you who is closer to the end of time, was also hired. Who knows? Maybe we are the ones at 5 p.m. Who knows? Maybe we are the ones at 3 p.m. God himself in his own counsel and by his own sovereignty knows when the end will come. But the point is, irrespective of where we are on that entire broad timeline in the end times, God has called us. We are now the called out ones. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, called forth, hired. Yes, that's it. Called forth, you were hired. Right? Now, let's look at Hebrews um, 11.39. Hebrews 11.39. Let's look at something beautiful, something really, really beautiful it says here. So, having spoken, like having taken time to talk about all these fathers of faith, all these men who stood in faith, now came and settled and talked about us and them. What brings us together? What binds us together? What is the relationship between us and them? Now, this will make more sense <clears throat> as soon as we read all the other scriptures I have planned. All right. It says, verse 39 all these fathers of faith were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. What was promised? Christ. He's the one that was to be revealed. Now see what it says next. Since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us, The prophecies that came of old about Christ and the glory that shall be revealed through him to all who will believe on his name didn't come in the times when it was prophesied of in days of old, those that came at 9 a.m., those that came at 6 a.m., those that came at 12 noon No, they kept prophesying, but they never saw him. But they prophesied in faith. But he now has been revealed in our time. And what God is saying is, see, What they prophesied is being fulfilled in your time. And you and them together in faith are now made complete. In who? In Christ. Because the center of it all was Christ from the outset. Now, as we read more verses, you'll come to see more clearly why this matters.
1: Let's look at Ephesians 2, verse
0: 19 to 22. I'll try to be faster so that we can make very good use of time. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, because you are now stewards in this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Everything we, have, everything we have is built upon their foundations. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So whether it is them, whether it is us, Christ is the center of it all. Christ is the foundation of it all. He is the cornerstone of everything we believe. He is the foundation of everything we ought to stand upon. He is the rock upon which we should build whatever it is we build verse 21. In him, the whole building, which is his body, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Let's jump fast. Isaiah 53.10. That's where, okay, let me just paraphrase. It says "It it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise who? The son. Let me read this so I will see it. Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, "Yet The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hands, the the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He was talking about Christ. So this is Isaiah prophesying of Christ. Let's look at Isaiah 9. You know, Isaiah 9. He says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Who was it prophesying about? Christ. Did he see Christ? No. But did he see him? Yes, faith. John six, Job 16, 19. Job was praying there and saying, Oh, oh, I wish that I could have an advocate in heaven. Someone who would, who would advocate my case with God on my behalf. Let's see it. Job 16, verse 19. He says, even now my witness is in heaven and my advocate is in the heights. Wow, this is Job. prophesying by faith. Do you know your advocate is Christ? 1 John 2, he says, we shouldn't sin willfully, but if we sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ is righteous. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ. Job prophesied of that. So we see here that whether it is them or us, irrespective of where in the calendar of God we fall, we have all been called. We have all been given a task. We have all been given an assignment to the prophets, they were speaking of the glory that shall be revealed in Christ for us at the end times. For us, now that Christ has been revealed, our responsibility is to carry the word of the gospel around the world to everyone who will listen and tell them of Christ, tell them of the life now available in God. Irrespective of where we find ourselves, that is the call. Amen. Now let's look at the steward. Very, very interesting point here. Now, the father or the land owner told the steward, "Okay, oh, we'll call all the laborers and you know, give them their due reward accordingly." Let's see that very quickly. Let's open our text Matthew twenty. Matthew twenty. I think that's um, around verse five, where it speaks to the steward. Matthew 20, (laughs) verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. So the order of the landowner is he deals with those more recent and then goes to those from the past. But here is the point. It is the steward who is doing the judging and rewarding. Now, that might shock you, but let's look at John 5. So that you see it shouldn't shock you. John 5, 19 to 23. I read, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. Verse 22. The father, in fact, judges no one. What? Does that shock you? The father just is no one. But look at what it says next. But has given all judgments to the son. Very interesting thing. So that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So in the judgment, it says the scepter of the kingdom is a righteous scepter. He will judge in righteousness. So the judgment of the son is actually the judgment of the father. The judgment of the steward is the judgment of the father. So look at this funny thing. When the steward rewarded them, did you hear the the landowner tell the um, steward, oh no, for those that came last, give them one denarii as well. Um, And then the one that came uh, earliest, give them one denarii as well. He never said anything. All he said was judge from the last to the first. Sorry, from, from the last to the first, right? He didn't speak about the reward itself. The steward gave the just reward to everyone, which is what was initially agreed. Right? So let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 5 10. Another, like there are so many popular scriptures I'm using today. Okay, it's fine. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Each will be repaid, or each one of us will appear before him. And he will reward us for what we have done. So let me just go over a few things, right, um, as we wind down. You see, all the laborers are laborers for the master. That's the landowner. Right? All the laborers. In fact, even the steward submits himself to the landowner. And the Bible clearly agrees with that. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Let's read that very quickly. Philippians 2, 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Wow. Telling us adopt the same attitude Christ had. What was this attitude? Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Wow. So the steward submitted himself even to death on the cross. Something shameful. So the steward has submitted himself to the father, the landowner. Right? Right? Now, another thing I also want to point out very, very clearly here is that it is the landowner that makes the call to the laborer, right? The laborer cannot hire himself. The laborer cannot hire himself, right? Now, let's look at how this happens. Let's look at Titus 3.5. Titus 3. Oh, Titus three. Verse 5. Let me start from verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of the regeneration and of the Holy Spirit. It was by his mercy he called and saved us, by his own mercy. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. My goodness, I'm actually surprised. Okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to write it down anyways. That I'm using so many of these scriptures that we all know. And I'm hoping that as we read them more and more, they are sticking to our hearts. Ephesians 2, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us. If you look at Romans 3, the last couple of verses in Romans 3, <clears throat> it says, where then is boasting? Let me read it. That's from verse, um, let me see, verse chapter 3, okay, from verse 27. It says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by law of faith for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the gen- of, the, of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On contrary, we uphold the law. So it is God who justifies The fact that we are in God today is not because of anything we have done. It's not because we are more righteous. It's not because we are wiser. In fact, the Bible even says it's the foolish things of this world used to save us. It is the weak things of this world God has has actually revealed His His light to the foolish things. So it's not by anything we've done. It's His, His mercy. Just like the laborers themselves inherently hadn't done anything to end the favor of the landowner. No, He called them. In fact, the ones at 5 p.m. were like, ah, you don't have any work. Oh, that's why we are here. And he says, okay, go in. It's not by anything they have done. The landowner by himself showed mercy by hiring in his hiring of them. Now, another thing we also need to note is all the laborers will be judged. Every last one, every last one. So let's look at 2 Timothy 2.20 twenty-two. that's the different types of vessels, 2 Timothy 2 2. says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonourable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. 22, flee from useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, depending on how a vessel or a person frames himself, depending on how he arranges himself, permits me, purifying himself. So he says, you have to purify yourself from anything dishonorable. And how are you purified? He says, you are washed, you are clean by the words that I speak to you. That's the words of Jesus. You are clean by the words. We are purified by the word. As we are purified by the word, we become fit for the master's use. And if we are fit for the master's use, we are effective in the vineyard and in the call which he has put upon us. And what that also translates to is that in the end, when we stand before him, we will receive our reward. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3.11. I'll try to move much faster now because we're rounding up. 1 Corinthians 3 11. It says, For no one can lay any foundation, any other foundation than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or, stork, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. What? The day of judgment? Because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Our works will be tested. Our works will be tried. Let's look at the book of Jude. Don't ask me what chapter. If you ask me what chapter in Jude, like I said last time, go and report yourself to Pastor Amos. Jude one three. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. That is part of the work, and that's what will be judged. What was our contention like? Did we contend faithfully? Did we contend in righteousness? That's how we determine the quality of work we are building upon the foundation, which is Christ. Let me read 2 Timothy 4. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 4. Let's see what Apostle Paul has to say. 2 Timothy 4, 6-7. Ooh, time is fast spent. 2 Timothy 4, 67. It says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So you see, he will judge. Now, let's look at reward. You see reward being mentioned in verse 8 that we just read? God will give unto you a crown of righteousness. Right? Let's look at Revelations twenty two 12. twelve. Revelations 22, verse 12. I'll try to read faster so that we can go through the verses, scriptures I have here. Revelation 7 to 12 it says, Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. So you see, he's not missing words. He will repay each person according to his work. These are the words of Jesus Christ, which obviously is tantamount to the words of God. Right? You see the same thing in 1 Corinthians uh, 3 that we read earlier, 14-15, to 15, where Paul says, See, whatever it is you build will be tried by fire. And then you either receive a reward or you receive no reward but are still saved. Now, there is a portion of God's grace in this entire thing. We won't be able to read all the verses, right? But we see very clearly that it is God who calls, it is God who justifies, right? They, which is the prophets of old, the apostles of old will not be, sorry, the prophets of old will not be complete without us, now that Christ has been revealed in our times, because everything has been going from faith to faith to faith to faith. we also standing in faith, you know, we have the same common faith as they have, just like Jude mentioned. So we are laboring like they labored in faith, with the hope of our eventual redemption, the redemption of our bodies. But you see, all of these is only possible because of the master's graciousness in saving us. Because we could never have saved ourselves. Let's look at something very quickly in Ephesians chapter 2. As I go to my summary. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. I'll read from verse 1 to 2, actually. So Ephesians 2, 1 to 2. In fact, 1 to 5, if I'm being sincere. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. A dead man can save himself. You couldn't help yourself. That's the point. In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirits now working in the disobedience. We too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature, the children under wrath as the others were also. So we're condemned just like the rest of the world. But God, wow. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Wow. Wow. So, even though the prophets of old walked without seeing Christ, prophesied, never received the beauty of the Holy Spirit which you have today, you have it. And you also have the same eventual reward as them, the redemption of your body. They will not and should not be bothered by the rewards you receive, even though they suffered more. Because in the parable, we see that those who came first were like, ah, master, but we suffered now. We suffered more. The heat of the sun was literally on our head. But these people came when it was already getting shady. So they didn't feel the heat like us. Ah, Lord, why? But the master said this. He said, why are you envious? Because I am gracious. Why are you envious? Because I am generous. Titus 2, 11. The grace of God that brings salvation as appeared to all men teaching us that the nine of godliness we should leave God in this present world. That grace of God that brings salvation is what has called us. Now, in summary, I'm just going to read my summary notes instead. Since we are saved by God's election, that is his grace that called us, as we just seen in Ephesians 2. We have been sent into the field with clearly stated rewards in Christ Jesus. Our focus should be on fulfilling our call. Go and look at um, Colossians 4.17 and 1 Corinthians 3.11-15. And that alone, and, that, and, 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 and alone knowing that our works will be judged and rewarded accordingly and not be bothered by the rewards of our fellow laborers. So think about the parable of the talents. What is judged is faithfulness in the work, not the volume of the work, not the task. If, just like Apostle Paul said, Paul planted, Apollo watered, but both him that planted and him that watered are nothing but God who gave the increase. So even if all you are led to do is to teach in the children's church, Or as Cairo has been doing, you know, Cairo and Divine, they've been really, really helping on Sundays, where they are sharing uh, pop to the whole church. As small as that thing is, it is a service. It is a service they are doing in love. And God will reward. It must thus be done faithfully. It must be done faithfully. What God rewards is faithfulness. Because even with the parable of talents, you see, it says, you faithful servant, enter into my rest. God judges faithfulness. So, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, as we live tonight. God, what have you committed to me? How can I be more faithful? You can even take time to ask yourself, in what ways have I been unfaithful? And God, help me be faithful to the heavenly voice, to the call you have given me. And it just starts with one step in front of the other. Don't try to do what Tim is doing. Don't try to do what Pastor Richard is doing. Don't try to do what Pastor Emerson is doing. No, 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 no. Ask God. He wants to tell you. Ask God, Lord, help me to be faithful to the call. For some people, the faithfulness to the call is just living righteously in their workplace. For a start. For some other people, the faithfulness is, I told you to preach, you yeah, preach. But the point is this, irrespective of what the call is, irrespective of what you need to make adjustments is, make the adjustments by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I trust that God will help us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We bless you for another time in your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you because you, Lord, in your own mercy, according to the counsel of your own will, have called us and saved us. We thank you because we are washed in Christ's blood. We thank you because we are sanctified and clean even before you. Lord, we pray and ask that in any way by which any of us have erred in sinning against you, forgive us, Lord. We ask for forgiveness. And Lord we pray and ask that tonight, even as we go to bed, in our meditations, in our sleep, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you show each of us in what ways we have been unfaithful and show us how we can be faithful, how we can fulfill that which you have committed to our hands and help us to do it with love, to do it, to do it striving as we ought. Thank you because we know we are helped of you. For in Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. I, I I believe God has said something to each of us. And I want us to, you know, go through the rest of the evening, meditating on these things, thinking and asking God. Because the purpose of, you know, me always says something. He says, when you gain your knowledge, what exactly has it changed inside you? What has been added or what has been removed, right? And I want us to go with that concept as we go tonight. What has God added to you? Or what is he, by his spirit help, removing from you so that you may be meet for the master's use? God bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen.